Um, uh, so a couple questions that you had asked me. Well, I don't know how do you want to do it because I mean we can talk about the topic or the questions because I mean it's really hard to go in perfect order yeah. with my story. Mm-hmm. But like if we want to take it more of a natural route, some of the questions that you asked me last time, one of them was, "What were the thoughts on the way to the meetings?" I don't know if you want to elaborate on that question, like what you were, what exactly you mean by that. Like what was going on in your guys, in your head every time that you guys had to go there? Aside from just, oh, we have to go. We have to go. There's no questions asked. We have to go. Or was that it? Was that exactly it? Um, No, it was like, it was hard because for me, at least it, it was always, it always meant work and it always meant like opportunities I knew I was going to get my ass handed to me like I knew that it was just going to be difficult and it was it was bound to be traumatic in one way or the other and that's concerning me because or it's it's concerning because you really shouldn't be feeling like that I, I mean it was difficult for me to dread going to church and knowing like god what do I have to do now and one thing about this church, which is very specific, is you always had to, the way that they would word it would be, you always had to make sure that your heart was right, which it's like, what does that even mean? So they would, they expected that our heart be in the right place with anything that we were doing. So however we would approach it. So for example, it was particularly important for me because I had to lead worship at every single service. Like at one point we got up to having church, well, some form of a meeting or like training day, six out of seven days of the week. And on top of that, I was either going to school or even working some kind of job. Like, I mean, it was, I didn't work full time because I couldn't. And that was another thing that really sucked because on the one hand, I went to school um, part-time for years until I went to, until was it, I think 2016. So, or no, 20, yeah, 2016, 2017. Um, because I was too busy making sure that I had time for church. Like I had to make sure that everything was done for church, that I had everything prepared or that I basically had myself prepared. And I couldn't work because who, who's going to hire somebody who is not available 90% of the week? You know, I had, I, I, my schedule was so limited to, I can work on like, I can't, I don't remember our schedule exactly. Actually, I could probably find it, but, um, because of that hard drive that we found recently, um, I was either like, I was available, let's say Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, but only until a certain time. And then on Thursday nights, I was available from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Fridays, I was available all day until 5 p.m. Saturdays, I was available after 12 p.m. And then Sundays, I wasn't available at all. And like, so I had all of these limitations and then not to mention I had school on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So realistically, it's like, okay, I have like maybe four hours where I can work on Tuesdays and Thursdays between this time and this time. And nobody's going to hire you with that kind of schedule. So I was just so limited to everything. And it just, it was infuriating 
it was just really difficult and super discouraging because on the one hand, it was so normal for me to, you know, have a super strict schedule and for me to, like I think we stated before, in my household, you didn't, it wasn't a question. There wasn't an option. It was just, this is what's, this is what you're going to do. It wasn't so much of, well, you can come to church or you don't have to. It was, we're just, it, it was just a fact for me. And I don't know why it was just me, but it could have just been, I don't know, the way that I grew up, just the life that I live. I'm a people pleaser or I was a people pleaser. Like I grew up to be that way. I was conditioned that way. So I think that's probably part of the reason. Um, and my little sister wasn't like, she does nothing for anybody if she doesn't want to, which on the one hand, it's like, well, okay, that she's kind of, she's a selfish person when she wants to be, she has a kid now. So she's not, she's gives anything for her kid. Um, but like in the past it was all her, you know, whatever she wanted, she'd get. And I just, I never had that mentality. I wasn't raised that way. I was raised very differently. Um, we had two very different childhoods growing up, to be honest. Like we lived in the same house and we had the same parents, but we experienced life in two very different ways. And I think because of the way that I was raised and because I wasn't the golden child, I grew up always wanting to please people. So I think a big reason why I got roped into this life or that life is because I never said no. I didn't know how to say no, and it wasn't an option to say no. I can, I don't even remember telling my parents no ever. So, let alone being kind of, and it's hard because I know a lot of people would probably have a question of how did you get stuck in this? Why didn't you just pull away? Why did you just, why did you subject yourself to it? And it's like I gave that, that, um, I think it was a metaphor. Um, with the boiling a frog, it's a very slow process. Like this happened over a five year span of time. So my life, it just, it, it was a snowball. It was a very slow snowball effect, but nonetheless, it just, it built it on top of it. So I went through life constantly just saying yes to things and, or not even saying yes, but because it's like, if, if you don't say no, then it's a yes. And that was a lot of the way that I got roped into things because I, I couldn't say no. So it was just an automatic yes. So it was a lot of the times when we were going to church, like I had to make sure I had an hour before we even got in the car to where I'm quote unquote preparing myself, which is realistically, to be perfectly honest, all I was doing was repenting for everything. It's like, Lord, forgive me for having that bad thought. Like, you know, wanting to slap somebody or, you know, saying fuck you or, you know, anything. And it didn't matter what I was doing. Anything that wasn't pure, it was I needed to make sure that I was telling God I was sorry for that because I knew Ron and Maria would see it and they would address it. And I knew ultimately if I didn't repent, then it was going to hinder my ability to lead worship and if it if it hindered my ability to lead worship, then that in turn would get me thrown onto the hot seat. So it's like it was a lose lose across the board. So I needed to make sure that I was in a in the a right place beforehand. So it's like on the one the first step was repenting, and truthfully, it was never true repentance because repentance means you are t essentially telling God, "I'll never do that again." So true repentance is like, I'm sorry, and you turn your back from that quote unquote sin. So like, let's say cussing, <clears throat> you know, it's 
let's say that that's one of the sins that you're repenting for. To truly repent from that would be to be like, God, I'm sorry I said I took your name in vain, or I said, you know, fuck you, or I flipped somebody off, or anything like that. You're apologizing, you're repenting, you're you're coming with that, like, I guess, apologetic spirit, if you would. I, I don't even know the right term, but anyway, you're approaching it with that. And then true repentance means that you're turning from it and you're not going to do it again. I repented for that hour because I knew I was going to do it again the next day. Like it's not, I'm not going to avoid it, but it's impossible. I mean, I was a kid, I was a teenager, a young adult. I'm going to do the things that I did and there's no way to be perfect. Like I was probably, I think I was the only person in my age group at this church. Everybody else was older. Everybody else was either my parents' age or like an, maybe like an older aunt or even a grandparent, like all of these people were older, much, much older than me. And then I had my younger sister. And then we had um, one younger kid. And he got to come to church only two days out of the week. I was the only person I was the youngest person of anybody that went that had to be there almost every day of the week. Like no matter what service it was, no matter what training session it was, I had to be there. Like that wasn't an option. So would you say that everyone knew you? Oh yeah. I, everybody saw me. Like I'm, again, so one of your other questions was how big was the church? It was not very big. Like some people consider, would say that you can't consider a church anything less than 50 to a hundred people. But realistically, if you're looking at the Bible anywhere, any place that believers gather, that's considered a church. So it's like we could have church here with just us family. Like that could be our church it easily, according to the definition in the Bible. So this church, I think at the biggest, like at our peak, if you would, we probably had maybe 20 people, 25 people. And that was on a really good Sunday. That was like a regular, like that was probably the biggest group that we had. But on average, I would say 15 people until things started going downhill. So the core group was 15. Yeah, just about like I could probably name them all. But yeah, I think without having to like actually count and think, you know, name off people, probably about 15 people. Wow. And you said, okay, we'll get to the downhill soon. But okay, what what else did I have to ask? Oh, what did they do for a living? So, um, Maria was a hairstylist. So that's all she did. They worked, I think, really whenever she wanted. I think she worked on, I think she worked Thursday through Saturday. So that's what she did. And she owned, she was her own business. So she made her own hours. She had her own clientele. And then Ron. Placed? Or, yeah, she or had a. She had her own salon? Well, I mean, not, she didn't have her own physical, like, yeah, no, no, sorry. She didn't have her own salon, but she had her own, like, it's actually, it was actually right across, right around the corner from work. You know where we got the um, cakes, where we would go and get the yeah. cakes? There's a place in the corner, it's called Phoenix Salons. She had her own unit rented in that one. So it was a private salon. It was, it's basically like, kind of like renting your own apartment in a co- an apartment complex, but for that, it was Phoenix Salons, and she had her own room. Oh, she rented yeah. the space. Okay, nice. Interesting. So she had that, and... Do you think she still does that? Um, I wouldn't doubt it. And then he he was in he was some kind of like a... I think he was like a supervisor or some kind of manager. 
He traveled quite a bit for his job with a new job that he had picked up before. Remember, it was like in water filtration of some sort. So he's almost like a traveling salesman, kind of. Mm-hmm. But okay. so he worked every day. So he worked Monday through Friday, but she only worked Thursday through Saturday. But full time job was beating up on my ass. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> gosh man but it was like i don't know it was just it was super going and preparing to go to church was a lot of just repenting and it was i mean at the i i joke about it now saying like i knew i was going to do it again like it was never true repentance but at the time i took it as seriously as i could and i was as genuine as i could and of course i would try not to sin or i would try not to do stupid shit and for the most part i was i was a good kid but everybody's human and I, f- I tend to forget that because my life was just so strict. Like I, I mentioned, I think in the first or the second episode, my parents, like my, I never had a conversation with my parents about sex, about with my mom about sex. Like that, you didn't even mention sex. You didn't say that word in the house. Like yeah, that's just a big you, you don't talk about that. Why are you asking questions? Why are you asking? Oh. It was like that. Like, why? Oh, so why? it has been asked. No, it would be like, if the comment, if the topic came up, why? Why do you want to know? You know, and it's like, and I never felt comfortable asking because it was such a no-no. It was such taboo subject in the house. You just don't bring that up. So it just, it never, it was never brought up. But anytime that topic would come up, it was just an immediate, like, stop. You know, we don't talk about that. Like, it's inappropriate, which, I mean, of course, in its own way, it is. And, it's, and I still hold a lot of that that mentality and that um, opinion. Like, I'm, you know how I am with certain things. Like, I'm very, some people might call me a prude or some people might say that I'm too, I don't know, sensitive about certain things. But, I mean, part of that was probably my parents. But then a lot of that, too, is just my own personal that's how I feel about it, you know, certain topics. But it's just, I I tried to be as genuine as I could with, you know, repenting and having like that pure heart. But not to mention, it's like they don't really explain what that meant to have a pure heart or how to do it. So I would just repent, do what I could. And then because I'm such a procrastinator, I would wait until the last minute to like prepare for anything. And one of the things that I fucking hated this question every fucking day and I always had to lie because I didn't know I and I couldn't tell them I didn't know because then I'd get in trouble for not knowing and I'd be made to look like a fucking fool but I know I'm not the only one that had the question so one of the things that they would always tell me and though they would always ask me was so what songs does God want to hear tonight or what is it that the Holy Spirit put on your heart to sing tonight mind you I have a very limited repertoire like I didn't have a fuck ton of songs that I knew how to sing, that I knew how to play, and that I felt that I sang well. So I'm like, well, so um, these are the ones that I feel like God put on my heart to play. <laughs> and it's like, how do you genuinely answer that question? I never knew how, but I couldn't ask because if I admitted that I didn't know when God was speaking, I'd get in trouble. Like, what are you doing? Are you spending enough time with God? Are you spending enough time studying the Bible? Are you spending enough time listening for God? And I'm like, well, fuck, how? When? I'm busy. I'm here 90% of my life. Like, when the fuck am I supposed to hear God besides when you're cramming him down my throat? You know, it's like there was just this high level of expectation and it was just, it, it was impossible to reach. And what was really difficult too, what people don't understand is all of the, every time that I sang worship and I had to lead worship, I was basically doing it on my own. It was a one man band, literally. All I had was my guitar and my voice. 
nobody else was with me. Yeah, they'd sing along, but I was the one leading it. And it's so difficult because not to mention, this is another thing. I wasn't allowed. I was not allowed. It was not permitted. I was literally told you are not allowed to sing any recent, any current Christian songs, anything that was popular. You know, people that know are familiar with the Christian world. I wasn't allowed to sing anything by Hillsong. I wasn't allowed to sing anything by like, for example, there's a song by Mercy Me that comes to mind. Um, I wasn't allowed to sing um, a lot of the hit music that was like Hillsong, Hillsong United. Um, we were allowed to sing some Carrie Job songs. She's a really big Christian artist. Um, I wasn't allowed to sing anything by Chris Tomlin. He's a huge Christian, Christian artist. Like I was forbidden from singing those songs because it was almost like the way that they would describe it was it was like commercial Christian music. So it was very, um, what was the word they used? It was, it was just basically, it just, it was, it was fake. It was for performance and it wasn't true Holy Spirit led music. So I wasn't allowed to sing any of that. So it's like, that's the music that I listened to. To, and this is the music that I enjoy and I really love the way that it sounds and it brings me to a place of feeling like I'm closer to God. So if it brings me closer, why the fuck can't it bring everybody else closer? So, but no, what they would do is they would make me sing songs by artists that had sang them 30, 40 years prior or from a completely different country. Like there was one particular um, artist, his name was Ulf Christensen. They made me sing one of his songs, which is incredibly difficult. They made me sing a song in French. They made me sing a song in Hebrew. They tried to make me sing a song in Arabic. I couldn't do that. They made me sing songs in Spanish. Mind you, I was barely learning Spanish when I was at this church. So I was still taking classes and I wasn't taking classes for them. I was taking classes for my own interest, but I'm barely learning Spanish. So they would make me start singing songs and I was in like Spanish one. I didn't understand the importance of, it was, it drove me crazy. I remember one song. I can't remember what song it was. Um, oh, I can't remember the artist now, but there was this particular song and I didn't understand, I would be, they would, they would have me listen to it and I'd read the lyrics and I'm like, okay, I mean, I can probably do it. And I would try to sing it. And mind you, Maria was from Mexico. Her dad was from Mexico. Um, yeah. where was it? They were, she was from there. Cause we went there one time. Um, oh, you've been to Michoacan? Mm-hmm. Um, we went in Guanajuato too. Yeah, Guanajuato. Oh, yeah. you've been there. Mm-hmm. Nice. And so she was straight Mexican. And so she knew Spanish. She would correct me. And I'd be singing a song and she'd be listening. She's like, nope, that's not it. And I'm like, I read the lyrics. She's like, no, you're not singing it right. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And she's like, you're not singing it right. And she was terrible at singing, but she would sing it to me. And I'm like, that's what I just did. And she's like, no, you're not singing it right. Your emphasis isn't in the right place. Mind you, I was barely taking Spanish. I didn't understand what emphasis me- meant. I didn't understand what it meant for the, the word to carry an accent in a different place than what I thought. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And it's, they were terrible at explaining shit like that. But they would try to get me to hear it. And until I actually like later on when I started getting really good at Spanish as far as like learning it and teaching it, then I understood, okay, that's what they mean by the emphasis. I understand now. But for the longest time, I didn't get it and they didn't explain it. But that's what they would do to me. I would start trying to sing a song and they're like, no, that's not it. You're, you're not getting it. And I'm like, no, I'm not. 
And I'm like, first of all, I'm singing in a language that I don't fucking speak. I'm already embarrassed. I'm already stressed out trying to learn this goddamn song. And then you're telling me I'm not doing it right. But you're not telling me and you're not trying, you're not emphasize you're not giving me the the tools that I need to understand what the fuck you're talking about when you tell me it's wrong and so it was just it was shit like that that would happen all the time and I'm like you were having me sing in a language I am so unfamiliar with but they did it on purpose they literally would they would purposely have me learn new songs because I was apparently I sang songs that I was not familiar with with more anointing than I did with songs that I was familiar with Because if I didn't know the song, then how can I fuck it up? How can I put my own twist on a song if I'm trying my hardest to sing it in the correct, with the correct emphasis and the correct word with the, you know, in the right accent. And so it's like, if I'm too focused on that, then I can't perform a song because I don't know the fucking song. I don't understand it. So they would put me in a position where I had no choice but to sing a song that I didn't understand because that carried more anointing. That made it more, that ushered people into the presence of God because I was so uncomfortable with the song that I couldn't sing it in any special way. I had to sing it very simple, very almost like flat and just very rigid. I couldn't sing it in any special way because I didn't know it. And that's what they liked. That's what they wanted from me. And it was like that all the time. So it's like if there was a song that I particularly like, you could bet money that if I was going to sing that song, I, it would be thrown out. Because on Sundays, it got to a point where I had to lead worship. And that fucking sucked. So it was, there, was, there was a time where Ron would, he would lead. Like he, would, he wouldn't lead. He would create the set list and he would send it to me. And he would say, this is what we're singing on Sunday. And this fucker would send this to sh- this shit to me Saturday, the <laughs> day before. And mind you, it was songs that we probably had only played once. So I had barely learned it. And even then, it's like, it's incredibly difficult to sing a song with a melody line that you're not comfortable with and that you don't know. It's like, I can sing my songs that I listen to regularly, but if I never listen to these songs and I don't even like these songs and I'm being forced to sing them and I'm being told the night before, and it was like, he did that on purpose to me too, because he knew if I, he knew if I couldn't prepare for them, then I was basically going to have to sing them raw. And apparently if I sang them raw without preparation, I was more anointed. Damn. I'm just like wondering now, I was like, why don't you just say screw it and then just fuck it up on purpose? Because it's humiliating. Oh, right, right, right. Sorry. Duh. <laughs> I'm only saying because it's like, well, bitch, you only gave it to me like less than 24 hours to try to figure this out. And I was going to try to stress over it over the week, but that's just how I think. Damn, that's horrible. How? What kind of instruments did you guys have? All we had for majority of that was me playing the guitar, not well, and him on the keyboard, <laughs> not great, and my voice. That was it. Oh, my gosh. In front of all, well, well less than 20 people, but still like, geez. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And then what the heck? And I'm responsible because that's what worship is, responsible. It's the responsibility of leading people into God's presence. That's what he, that's what your that's church, what that's what told. the church was telling him. Yeah. So it's like, I'm responsible for this. So it's a, that's a lot of pressure to yeah. put on someone that's like not even 20 Mm -hmm. and telling me if you don't do this right the message is going to fall flat it's like having an opener that's trash and then you're it's like i don't know it's just like somebody screwing up your set and then messing with your instruments and completely changing you know the levels that you had already preset and then going up there and you bombing too so they would put that responsibility on me so i have a question which i always ask a lot of people when they say trouble 
what does getting in trouble mean? Like, what does that mean in this case? Because I feel that there's a, trouble is a very broad um, word. And it's like the definition for trouble, I mean, could be so minor, especially to me, even for my own trouble. It's like, well, I could get a scolding or anybody can get a scolding or or they'll hit you or they'll give you lashings. You know what I mean? Or what, what was the trouble from this church that they were going to give you? Or like, or is it just like the embarrassment? Like, what would explain that to me? Well, you mean like, what were the repercussions? Yeah, because you said, oh, because if, if I didn't, I would get in trouble. Like, well, so the definition of trouble, if you would, would be like, okay, you have to remember this church was my life, not necessarily by choice. But again, I was conditioned and I was raised to be a people pleaser. So for me to not do something right, I would be a disappointment to both Ron and Maria. And I, it would be like, you didn't want to be a disappointment. Well, of course I don't want to be a disappointment, but what does that feel like? What do you mean? Explain that. I want, I want, I want us to feel it. That's why. It's hard to describe what it is to, well, if I can't describe it to you, you're not a people pleaser. I am. I like to please people. No, you don't. Okay. You don't give a fuck about people. Whoa. <laughs> you don't, you don't care. Like, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but you don't care what people think about you. You're going to do what makes you happy. That's your mantra for life. And if people don't like that for you, that's none of their business. It has nothing to do with them. You see, you seek after the things that make you happy that make your that enrich your life. You chase after those things and you only want those people in your life that improve your life, that add to your life. Nothing about that is being a people pleaser. Damn. And you know what? It wasn't always like this, but it's because I started not giving a fuck basically right that's what i'm saying you don't give a yeah, fuck about people yeah it it's was not hard. that you don't it's, care I, I about fuck, i don't give a fuck about their thoughts yeah it's not that you don't care about people don't don't i'm not telling you not, not to misunderstand me but like i don't want people to misunderstand me he loves people he values people and he treasures a lot of people and definitely like he takes care of me and he'll put me above himself and he does what he can for me all the time and he thinks of me before making certain decisions like before he leaves in the, for work in the morning what do you need what can I get you because right now I have a broken leg so I can't do anything I mean I not that I can't do anything I have more difficulty doing certain things and it takes a lot more for me to do it so he makes sure even though he's up at three o'clock in the morning making sure that he has things for me set aside so that it makes my morning and afternoon more easier and it's not just me. He does things for his brother, for his parents, like for the people that he loves and he tre he treasures, he takes very good care of them. So it's not that he doesn't love people. He doesn't care about people, but he doesn't give a fuck about people's thoughts. If they don't approve about people that you care about, you care, you mind their thoughts in a sense, but the general public, general people in general, it's like, I don't care. You know, you don't like it. Fuck you. I don't care. Yeah. It's more of like their opinions, especially if it's, if it goes against of what I what I'm doing or what I'm saying. Right. It's like, what the hell? Like they look at me, it's like, what? This is how I think or this is how I, what I think is fucking funny or whatever. And this is how I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? It's, I mean, I will, I would love hearing people's opinions and then I will give mine, but I don't have to take it or right. accept their opinions or their thoughts because it's like, well, that doesn't do me any good or it doesn't do this situation any good, you know, or it doesn't bring any value to this, to this, um, topic you know not not what we're talking about now but in general whatever what's going on so it's like how does that do like how am i going to accept that how does so, this benefit how me? does that benefit me mm -hmm. like this is just bring you're trying to bring me down i mean not you rochelle yeah <laughs> no i'm saying if someone's opinion is like you know whatever is against my own or whatever it's like well that doesn't help me and that doesn't make me happy 
So it's like, well, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on what makes me happy and go on from there. So I'm just going to ignore and turn my back on this bullshit and just keep walking, you know? So yeah, thanks for saying that. <laughs> a little <laughs> bit a more, a little more about me, I suppose. But yeah. no, yeah. So that's why I, I need it. I want people to feel and understand that, yeah, there could be people pleasers out there. But even then, I mean, I'm without sure. being a people pleaser, it's like, it's hard I still, I just, okay, just I'll explain it. No, no, yeah, I'll explain it to you. But it's really hard for me to convey that to somebody who's so, like, my opposite in that. Yeah. Like, for me, my life has always revolved around doing things for other people. So I would always, I would seek out opportunities to do something for somebody. Or I would listen. I would, not even intentionally. I would just, it would it would be an unconscious thing, but I would listen to people's conversations. They're talking to me or they're not, or they're not. And I would hear something that somebody wanted. And I'm like, I really want to make that person happy. So I'm going to, when the time is right and I can, I'm going to buy that thing for that person and surprise them with it. That could just be like, oh, you're just a giving person. Well, yeah, there's that. But then on the other hand, for example, at work, I would strive to please people. Like I always want to be the, and I always want to be the best at something. I don't like failure and I don't like other people being better at anything. And especially if it's my responsibility, then I'm going to strive for that. But the reason that I strive for that is because I want people to be pleased with my performance. I want people to be happy with what I'm doing and value me. I want to be needed. I don't like not being needed. So at work, I would be the best at something because I want people to know that they need me. And I want people, I loved being the person that people would come to with questions because I had the answers. I loved being that person that had the answers. And I don't know that that necessarily tie. I mean, I think it goes hand in hand with being a people pleaser, but I couldn't stand when people were not happy with me. If I, I knew someone was irritated with me, it would destroy my day. It would impact my day in dramatic ways. I, my mood would be completely off if I knew someone was unhappy with me. Even if I wasn't at fault, if I knew I said something and it was my opinion and it was something that had pertained to me, but it offended somebody in some way that would kill me. And it would, it would bother me all day when it's like in reality, who the fuck cares? So they're mad at you. Did you do anything wrong to them? Did you, you know, mess something up on their end? No. Well then fuck them. But for me, it's like, I know that person's not happy with me though. That like, I want them to be happy with me. And so that's kind of like how it was with church when I knew that I hadn't done something perfectly. And I knew, I dreaded hearing that. I, I hated hearing that they were disappointed in me. Or it was just, it was crushing. It would crush my spirit. It would crush my hopes and my, any, any form of positivity that I had. Like if I felt good about worship, but then Ron and Maria would stand up right after I sat down and you just saw it in their face that they were disappointed and they were borderline disgusted with worship. Who else is to blame for that besides me? So that would fall on me. And it's like, they would even say passive aggressively. They would say, well, you know, it's going to take us a little bit longer to work through this um, before we can really get into the message because just, there's just this, the, the atmosphere, the spirit of God is just, it's not ready because I hadn't prepared it because I failed at leading worship. And it's like, as you, I knew everybody was looking at me Everybody in the room knew why it was the way that it was because that was how we, that was what we were taught. I wasn't the only one that was taught that. Everybody was. So it was just like, well, that was my fault. And instead of being like, well, fuck you guys. You didn't like it. That's not my fault. I did what I could. It was, 
just this devastation and this, I couldn't even hold my head up high. So many times I would walk out of church at the end of the service feeling nothing but shame because I knew I had disappointed not just Ron and Maria, but everybody else. And the service wasn't as good as it should have been because I didn't prepare myself, because I didn't lead worship correctly, and I didn't do it right. So it was just like that. It wasn't that I would get in trouble, but I knew that there would be a message for me that next day. So there would be something they would they would teach, and they would have you know we would have Bible study, and what would Bible study be about? But worship, or having a pure heart, or humbling yourself. They would they would choose topics that would just dig at me, knowing it was directed towards me. And it's like that humiliation and that that just putting me down, almost like that forced humble, like humbling, that's what would, it just, it was devastating. Like it was just, again, this was my life. I had nothing else going for me besides this. It was like getting a bad grade on a test and knowing, well, you didn't try hard enough. You didn't study enough for this exam. This is why you failed. So what? Aside from being disappointed, what what did your parents say about it? Like, they, what did they say? What was there? Not, not that they were defending you, because according to what you were saying, they didn't defend you for shit. But what were they saying during those times when when they embarrassed you in front of the church or that or anything? That I can recall, they never defended. They never said. They never said anything against what Ron and Maria said. What Ron and Maria said was 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 Bible. That was it was fact. There was never anything like. It wasn't. It wasn't bad, Rochelle. It was. It was good. I enjoyed worship. Nothing. Oh sh- No, no, no. I thought you were saying that's what they said. You just what was just a quiet ride home. There was no comforting. Oh, there was no. You'll do better next time. It was just if the only time I would get complimented or I'd be like, wow, that was really good, or I really felt the presence of God, or anything like that, was if it came from Ron and Maria first. There was Damn. no form of comforting at any point. And it was like that. I mean, there was just, there was across the board. There was nothing that I could do right. There were probably a handful of times. And there was never a time worship was only stopped or interrupted because I fucked up. It almost seems like this was your church. Uh, yeah. Like you were the God. They were I know, like you. they were, yeah. You were the Jesus of this building, of this little... A lot of, a lot of it was focused on me. I mean, of course, at the same time, it's like I'm not a, I'm not in, I mean, the only time I can recall where I was impacted by something that happened to somebody else was like with my parents. Well, with my dad primarily. Like this whole thing was my dad. This is what he wanted. This is what he felt called to do. And they disrespected him by like, it's kind of like a spoiler alert. I guess we'll get to this later, like really in depth, but the biggest slap in the face to my dad was, so in the church, there's different positions. There's a deacon, there's an elder, there's a pastor, assistant pastor, there's prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers, whatever. There's different positions, but like the most popular, if you would, would be like a deacon and an elder. So it's almost like a deacon could be considered the equivalent in like a business world would be the deacon would be like a lead and elder would be like a supervisor. And then the pastor was like the GM. (laughs) So my dad was never recognized as a deacon. Eventually, I want to say he was recognized as maybe an elder, but the biggest slap in the face and it was crushing for me. And I can only imagine how it felt for my dad. I swear it was would have been better if Ron would have went and spit in my dad's face because at least you could wipe that away and be done with it. But instead, instead of finally recognizing my dad as some form of leadership 
and as some form of somebody and giving him any respect. He went and he made me at three years old, I think. He went and made me a pastor. So my dad had to address me oh. as Pastor Rochelle. My parents had to address me. It was law. Like, oh, shit. I shit you not. Ron and Maria addressed the entire church and told them, you are to address Rochelle as Pastor Rochelle. Everybody. Older, younger, didn't matter. Everyone in that church, no matter who they were to me at any point in my life, had to address me that way. Dude, that's basically, we went super saiyan. And it's like, so oh my I God. can, I, I know my dad went through it. Like, I can imagine the things that my dad has gone through and what he experienced, the humiliation that my dad has felt. But that, to me, was the biggest disrespect that anybody could have served to my dad. I felt like shit. Having my dad come up to me and call me Pastor Rochelle. I'm like, dude, that's not your, don't fucking call me that. Like, that's not. What were you before that? That was nobody. No, you then they, they just shot you up. Did they even give a reason? Because of this, because of the, she got better at singing. I mean, we'll get to that later. But like there, it was, it was almost like a slow, like I said, again, everything happened pretty slowly, but it's, it, it like all like kind of blended together and all everything kind of led in one thing into another but I mean I guess you can say it kind of happened pretty drastically as far as them shooting me up to the top but it was very unexpected like it was the last thing that I expected but it's funny because I actually had a dream that it was gonna happen and then unfucking fortunately it did but um it just I, I know my dad went through it because there were a couple times especially in the beginning where he was specifically called out but the thing is too he was called out privately I was called out publicly like it had gotten to a point where me my mom and my dad that's probably not grammatically correct but that's fine um the three of us we were going to ron and maria's house for like special training like it was just us five you know my parents and i and then ron and maria and it was like leadership training and my dad was called to the floor and he was like, you know, Ron and Maria addressed him specifically. Ron was like, you know, you've been you've been struggling to basically stay in this. You know, we know that you've been feeling pulled and you've been you're you're kind of you're walking the line and you're on both sides of the fence because my dad was really busy with work. And I think he in the early parts of the church, he was feeling kind of pulled and kind of almost questioning whether or not this was right because of the things that they would expect and the things that they would um, limit us from doing and the the stipulations that were on our family and what we could and couldn't do, who we could and couldn't talk to. Um, and I think it just got to my dad in the early time, like in the early parts of the church. And they would tell him, you know, we know that you've been pulling apart, you know, but you've been pulling away and this, this, and this, and it's just stupid shit. But so, I mean, I know they called him out a few things and I'm sure for him that was kind of embarrassing to be called out in front of his daughter and his wife. Like, yeah, I have been struggling with my walk with God. I'm having to admit that because it's an embarrassing thing in the church world. It's an embarrassing thing. And um, they just, they called him out on it and he had a hard time a couple of times. And then he even stopped going to church for a little bit. Like he, there was a, I mean, there was maybe a month where he would just go to church on Sundays or just go to church on Friday night. It was a lot of struggle because it wasn't easy. Being with this church wasn't easy. And we had to sacrifice a lot of things and we had to constantly suffer humiliation and some form of just, just embarrassment. And he, he just, like you talk about being humbled by somebody, they would do that for us. We could never get a point to a point of pride because they would find some way to humble us. So it was like, I know my parents went through a few things, 
But truthfully, yeah, I feel like I got the brunt of their dominion and their, of like their, their rule. <laughs> like when they were with our church, I feel like I got a majority of that abuse. Yeah, it was, it was hard. And there were a lot of things that had to suffer through and I had to deal with. And again, I had to, f- I had to base everything, anything I wanted to do. I had to schedule around the church, anything. So how were your parents like technically the leaders or owners of this church if they weren't even like leading or technically owning because they want since they wanted to start it then how 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 was what was their role in this case because i mean aside from like leading and or not leading i'm sorry following because it sounds like that's just what they were doing when oh we want to start our own church we want to do our own thing but like how did they do their own thing or how did they you know how is this making them any happier than they were before it's not that's why i think i emphasized that on the second episode it was that way. This was all of my dad's idea. This is something that my dad wanted. And it's what he felt he was like, this is what God had on, that hit, that God had placed on his heart to do. This was all something that my dad wanted, like to start a church. He felt like that's what God was calling him to do. And not a single ounce of anything that we experienced over those five years even remotely suggested that my dad was in any form of leadership. It had nothing to do with my dad. It became Ron and Maria's church. It was never my dad's church. And that's why I'm saying when I became the pastor, that was the most disrespectful thing that he could have done. This, I wanted nothing to do with this church. This was my parents doing. This was my dad's doing. And then for him to turn around and have to address me as his leader, like, dude, what the fuck? You remember when you said you wanted to have power? Did you feel that? No, I felt shame. Damn. It was like Xerxes shame. It was nothing but shame and humiliation. Because it's like, I don't belong in this role. I don't belong here. This is my dad's thing. This is not mine. It was it was awful. It was terrible. Like having to be in that position above, realistically, nothing I did was above my dad. Like I never told him anything. It's not like I was some kind of like a dictator, like, <laughs> pick me up. <laughs> Why am I walking? Like I had nothing to do with that. But it was just like knowing that every time my dad saw me in public when we were at church, he had to address me as his pastor, Pastor Rochelle. Wow. He couldn't call me. He couldn't call me Shell. He couldn't call me Shelly, like the way that he would normally address me with nicknames. That was inappropriate. I was not permitted anymore. Do you feel that that's the day his daughter died? Maybe. Or like that's the day where he like, not respect, because technically he doesn't have to respect you per se, but like that's the day... That you were no longer his daughter. You were his, not boss, but like... I was above him. You were above him. So it's like, do you think that's the day that he lost his daughter? Like, he, he might have felt that way? I don't know if he felt... Well, it's it. I think that was hard because it's hard to say that he lost me because I was still living in their house at that time. So I was still... I mean, you know, when we went home, it was, you know, I was just Shell again or Shell Bell, whatever. Was there any congratulations? Yeah. No, my dad... He came and obviously congratulated me and, you know, gave me a really big hug and he cried. Was it genuine? And I don't know what that cry meant. I don't know if that cry was shame or if it was genuine pride or if he was mourning. I don't know what it was, but it was, I want to say, got down in front of me, like kneeled in front of me. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this is not that. And it was his form of humiliating and humbling himself before me. And I'm like, dude, I'm not a fucking God. Like, get up. What are you doing? Get up. And I cried because that to me was nothing. That was humiliating for me. Nothing about that was, I had no pride in that. I had no excitement in that. I, you don't want to see this man. Like I have, the, I had, 
I have to say I had because I no longer have, but I had the most, the utmost respect for my dad. I've always talked very highly about my dad. I don't think I've ever really disrespected or dishonored him or talked any form, anything other than respect for my, for my dad. He, he sacrificed everything for us as kids. He was, he, he worked all the time. He would wake up and he would have to leave and be out of the house by three o'clock in the morning to get to work on time. And then he wouldn't be home until six or seven o'clock at night. And then he did that with all of his job. And it wasn't until much, much later into my adulthood that my dad finally got home at a regular time. He would work from three to three thirty, So he'd be home and by home by like four or five, we could have dinner together. And we could all kind of just hang out and watch TV. And it was, I mentioned it last day, I think the last night. One of the things that we did as family, it was nothing super special, but it was apparently core memory for me was we would just watch cooking shows together. And it was cool. Like, I mean, we enjoyed it. So we would get into it. Dude, what the heck? What happened to Peter? You know, I don't think Peter was ever a contestant, but, you know, we would kind of get involved with that. But I've always had a respect for my dad. And the way, the one way that all of his kids would describe him before this church, the one way that we would all describe him collectively and not like we would plan our, our description of him, but it just turned out that that's how we all separately describe my dad is my dad just had this silent presence to him and this like silent authority. Like when he walked into a room, there was just, he just had this air about him and we didn't, my dad never demanded respect, but we gave him respect. When he said something, he meant it. And my dad was a, he was a man of few words. So he, when he spoke, it, he spoke with authority and it was meaningful. It was powerful. Like whatever he said, it's like my dad was an observer. So he would just watch and he wouldn't speak much. But when he did speak, it was something to listen to. It meant something and it had some, we all collectively, like we don't know why my dad's never demanded respect, but we all authority behind him. And my dad has sacrificed everything. He worked all the time. He was a sole provider for all of us. Anything that he could give us, he would. And I've always admired that about my dad. And I don't think he was ever given the credit that he should have been. So for me to have some, the only man in my life that I had true respect for, for me to forced into a position of authority above him was devastating. So I don't know that his daughter died or that there was some form of, I think the day that I died was the day that I left. Like that I think was devastating for him. I, I can I can imagine the day. I know for sure when I died to my mom, but like for me to, to be in that position and then for my dad to quote unquote humble himself before me, it was devastating for me to see that and then at the same time it's like who is this person that's what the fuck are you doing like I was disturbed and I again it was more humiliating for me than anything to have to be in that position but yes there was congratulations there was like my dad was proud of me that's what he said and there were tears it was probably the only other time that I saw my dad cry I think I've seen my dad cry three times and one was when his dad died so I don't know maybe that is the day that I died that's the day that he cried I don't know or maybe that's the day that his dream died. And I know to him that had to have been a slap in the face too. Why else would they do that? I think that was strategic on their part. I think they did that on purpose. It wasn't that I was ready because God knows I wasn't. <laughs> it's not that I was, I had some revelation or it's not that I was so close to God. It was none of those things. 
I honestly think it was strategic because they always, they strategically humiliated me. So I think they strategically humiliated him. There was a lesson somewhere, but I didn't stick around long enough to find out. Jeez. Well, tune up next time for our, <laughs> our, our, our continuing series. I, uh, do you have any questions for next time? Not yet, but I hope that our friends do when I release these episodes. <laughs> That's why just like no it sucks because like i can't keep it in order because it just didn't work out that way but i mean i can talk about you could outline it just basic points well, of think... like of like the high points <clears throat> and then other than that we can elaborate after like traumatic like this was a good one i feel like we could go more in but damn i think that's just enough just because i asked about the part about him dying or you dying and just like holy shit do you want to say anything before i turn off the recording um, one thing you did want to cover, uh, all of this is my experience. This is my experience with church. This is the trauma that I encountered. And like I said, I didn't encounter this with my previous church. It was just the most recent church, cult, whatever. Like this is my experience with the church world and my own feelings towards it. I'm not anti-church. I would say I have a big problem with religion in general, and I do have a problem with I guess you could say I have a problem with commercial religion. So I have a problem with churches that have turned it into a business. I have a couple churches in mind, but I won't name them. But there's those big churches that if you have a private jet, I have a problem with that because who's paying for that? But again, this is my opinion. This is not the opinion of anybody else. Uh, It's just my personal experience (coughs) and my personal difficulty with the church. I'm currently not practicing any form of religion, and I don't know that I will anytime soon. Um, I mean, maybe we've discussed, like, looking into Buddhism. It's such a peaceful, like, from what I know about it, I don't know if I would ever be a practicing Buddhist, but some of the, um, some of the things that they practice and, like, I guess, ways of living, they're kind of admirable. Like, it's just all about peace or what have you, but, you know, what little I do know about it, it seems a good like, hey, good for you guys. Um, but again, this is not, I'm not trying to influence anybody in any one way. I can't tell you that you're in a cult or not. It's none of my, it's not my place. But I know from my own experience what I've personally gone through. So this is just my background. And the reason that I have the opinions that I have are almost entirely based on the experience that I had at this cult. So to have survived it and escaped it, is significant but not without its lingering traumas and it's truly impacted the way that like the person that I am today and a lot of the decisions that I would make going forward are influenced and I'm not speaking on any particular this is something that I went through and I'm not saying that anybody else is going through it and if they are I'm sorry I hope you get out (laughs) but like I'm not an expert in the field I just know what I've been through but that's really it yep all right guys bye